When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Marvel Standom Live. I am your host, Mike Cicchini, and with me for all time and always, I have Den of Geek TV editors Katie Burt and Alec Bajalid, and Den of Geek News and Features editor Kirsten Howard. And today, we are going to be talking about all of the cool upcoming MCU releases in 2022 and beyond. You thought 2021 was crazy. 2022 is just as packed. Hopefully just in like the fictional MCU world, not like in the real world, because none of us can handle that anymore. Uh, but we have a pretty packed schedule ahead. But first, I'm going to let Kirsten take things, uh, take things over for a moment and give us a little picture of what's going on in the wide, wide world of Marvel. Kirsten, take it away. Well, the big news is that Secret Invasion is now filming in the UK. We've already seen Ben Mendelsohn back on set, reprising his role as Taos from Captain Marvel and Spider-Man Far From Home. Kobe Smulders and Samuel Jackson, aka Maria Hill and Nick Fury, have also been spotted filming, as well as Game of Thrones star Amelia Clark, whose role in Secret Invasion is so far a mystery. Kingsley Benadir from the OA has also been seen on set, but we don't know who he's playing yet either. Um, in Secret Invasion, you'll find that a sect of the shape-shifting aliens called the Skrulls, who we met in Captain Marvel and who most recently appeared at the end of WandaVision, recruiting Monica Rambeau, have infiltrated all aspects of life on Earth. Um, this event series draws from the comic run by Bendis and Yu and has been created for Marvel Studios by Mr. Robot writer and producer Carl Bradstreet. So we can probably assume this is going to have much more of a science fiction vibe than your typical MCU fare. Um, I don't think you'll need to have read Secret Invasion to keep up with what happens in this show. Uh, Kevin Feige has already said that this series won't be matching the scope of the comic book storyline, which featured more characters than even Avengers Endgame. Um, instead, he's described the show as a kind of Jackson and Mendelssohn-led political paranoia story that will simply kind of evoke the twists and turns of the book. Some other interesting MCU news this week is that it looks like Kit Harrington's Dane Whitman will return for Marvel Studios' upcoming Blade reboot, as we suspected. In an interview with comic book, Eternals VFX supervisor Stephen Coretti confirmed that he had passed on the visual secrets of the Ebony Blade to his additional supervisor Martin Lawson, who is moving on to production on Blade soon. Is everyone hyped for the back night? <laughs> you know what? I am. I'll I'll stick up for Kit Harrington because you know what I was thinking about today, just completely randomly. Do you remember uh, the HBO movie that was like thirty-seven minutes long called Seven Days in Hell, where he's a tennis player at Wimbledon? 
No. Uh, I thought you were going to bring up the movie Pompeii, and I was like... No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, that's, I love it. So I'm with you already. Yeah. I think there's a the hidden reservoir of talent deep within Kit Harrington that we've not quite gotten to see with Jon Snow just yet. Yeah, I loved how sweet his character was in um, The Eternals. I don't know if he's going to continue to be sweet moving forward, um, but I I am for more sweet characters in the MCU, and I didn't know that I was about to make that argument, so that was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look at that. <laughs> so endearingly worried. It's funny that he will be playing a character that sounds like so metal, like Black Knight, but his whole deal is he's just kind of a mensch. He's just like a decent guy. <laughs> a couple other little developments. For those of you who do not know, Marvel Standom is a production of Den of Geek. Denofgeek.com is our web home. And if you go to denofgeek.com slash Marvel, you can find all of our MCU and broader Marvel coverage, including the comics. A couple things that you might want to check out. You can go follow along with everything we're talking about over there because we have our complete rundown of every single Marvel Cinematic Universe and Sony Spider-Man Universe release date on uh, in one handy calendar with a couple of details for you. Also, you might want to check out a pretty cool article by our very own Gavin Jasper about uh, how the MCU has kind of uh, shone a new light on a relatively obscure Avengers video game that was based on an even more obscure Avengers comic called Operation Galactic Storm, which was a favorite of mine growing up. And I've been meaning to do kind of like a grown-up reread of it. And it's one of those <laughs> things where, like, I'm a little worried that maybe it won't hold up. But I tell you, when I was, like, 12 years old, that book was amazing. So I'm pretty hyped to give this another shot. Uh, but I guess we should probably get on with the show and start breaking down all of the upcoming MCU releases. What do you think, folks? Yeah. Assemble. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, first up. As we discussed last week, March 30th on Disney Plus, we're getting Moon Knight, folks. And if you didn't see our episode last week, you can now find it archived on YouTube. It's also archived here on our Twitch channel. But everything that you need to know about Moon Knight, we at least touched on. I don't know if we actually gave you everything you need to know, but we gave you a pretty decent overview of the character, especially since Kirstie has read like every Moon Knight comic ever, ever published at this point. So uh, <laughs> our, our coverage is going to be pretty crazy on Denny Geek when this show actually drops. But let's get back into Moon Knight for, for a second, folks. What does everybody think of this? What are your feelings on this show? I have a quick question about Moon Knight. Uh, Mike, are there <laughs> any werewolves in Moon Knight? Plenty <laughs> of werewolves. Is, uh... <laughs> um, I do advise everybody, even if you know, you're listening to us on Spotify, if you're tuning in live on Twitch, um, you might have noticed if you followed Marvel Standom for a while on YouTube that occasionally there's a little surprise at the uh, at the end of our credits, uh, you know, as in keeping with the broader Marvel theme of this show. Uh, occasionally it is at my expense. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you might want to go revisit that Moon Knight episode, even if this is uh, even if you watched it live or you, you're just listening on Spotify. But anyway, thanks for throwing me off track, Alec. Uh, let's let's get back to Moon Knight, huh? We delved deep into Moon Knight last week. Um, but one thing I don't think we fully came to terms with is how cool it is to have Oscar Isaac in the MCU. I mean, the guy is like an actual honest to goodness movie star. And now he's in our fun little 
fictional universe doing his silly chimney sweep voice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people have written articles about this before. I don't know if any of us have specifically, but just how good the casting in the MCU has been from the very beginning. Um, and it's kind of impressive that it just continues to stay at the um, the level it is. And yeah, as someone who hasn't read the Moon Knight comics, I'm pretty much here for like Oscar Isaac. I will follow him anywhere. And as we mentioned in last week's episode, um, I'm just ready for him to get a comic book movie in which he <laughs> his face is shown. He is able to act with his face. <laughs> he isn't blue. Um, actually, that last one's not a deal breaker. Do what you need to do, <laughs> Moon Knight. But um, yeah, I think I think we're all pretty excited to see him him join this this world. Yeah, I've already heard this show referred to as the MCU's Memento, and I think that's kind of the journey we're going to go on, at least in what I suspect will be the first of at least a few seasons. Um, You know, Moon Knight or Mark Spector does not know who he is at the start of this series from what we've we've been able to tell from the trailer. So he will be working out that he has not just one identity, but perhaps um, way more than one in there. And we'll be getting to know them all, I would suspect, or most of them by the end of the first season. So more MCU's memento and less MCU's night at the museum. (laughs) (laughs) Which is partially what I'm pulling for, but I, you know, totally, (laughs) I can see that maybe it's going in another direction. I'll also say, while we haven't gotten a glimpse of what Oscar Isaac's Mark Spector is going to be like on the show, because we've only seen one of these other possibilities with that, you know, that's the ridiculous chimney sweep accent that we never get tired of making fun of. But if you want to get a glimpse of what maybe his Mark Spector could look like, you should watch a really cool movie that came out in 2021 that he starred in called The Card Counter, where he is like really, really intense. Um, and like, he's definitely kind of like a man on the edge in that movie. And I would love to see a little bit of that come through in his, in his actual Mark Spector performance when we get to Moon Knight. Everyone's favorite Oscar Isaac performance. I mean, it's super basic, but I love him in Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sad he didn't get more to do. Kind of a kind of a theme, I guess. Maybe I need to watch more of his lesser known movies. <laughs> I was gonna say Last Jedi and specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I could get behind that. The card counter is one of them as well, though. Uh like I think that's something that will ultimately kind of be in the pantheon of his great performances once more people have actually seen it. I think I would have to Google Oscar Isaac. To... <laughs> this, this would be my go-to if somebody asked me that. I would just pull up IMDb and then I would I'd scroll down until I found something that I'd completely forgotten I'd seen him in. My memory is just the worst. So. The first thing I remember seeing him in was Ex Machina, which I actually didn't like yes. as much as a lot of other okay. people did. But I do think is a very different performance from a lot of what I've seen him in since. He's fantastic in that movie. He's very good. He's very good. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to take Ex Machina then since it's been handed to me on a plate. (laughs) Yeah. That's a perfectly reasonable answer too. uh... One thing I'm curious about, Kirsten, you mentioned like season two and three of Moon Knight as though it were kind of inevitable. 
Is that how I you keep like... this going? Because I, I don't oh, know. Oh, absolutely. Maybe... Yeah. Could he be like a different, like one of his personalities every season? I feel like, <laughs> for me, this is the one that I would definitely think there will be a season two mm. because it is street level. So perhaps slightly more cheaper to do once they get out of the Egypt sort of scenario. Mm. And also because <sighs> Moon Knight is just a character that could absolutely carry a show and he is completely unexplored to date in the MCU. So there's nothing but possibilities here. Um, I, do, I do think this is going to get a season two for sure. Um, there's also I'm only to be proved wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's also only six episodes in the first season, which right. seems a, like a very small amount to do justice to this character. Um, there's yeah. also, <laughs> I, yeah, there's also a, a one-off special coming later this year at Halloween, which is obviously quite a while after Moon Knight finishes, Werewolf by Night, that for me is just going to be on Disney Plus and you know is linked to Moon Knight so heavily in the comics that I feel like. That is the sort of um, middle stop before we get to season two, as it were. So I think, yeah, it'll definitely so continue. We'll have a bit of like a Moon Knight or at least like Marvel horror bookend to 2022. Yes. What I'd really like to see, and I, I hope, you know, the, the Werewolf by Night connection is is very much a real thing. And so much of the first wave of these Marvel shows have been explicitly tied to the wider MCU, right? Like they've all been kind of continuations, like they've been legacy. They've even been like, either been straight continuations of things that were left off in Endgame, such as WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or they've been legacy shows, you know what I mean? Like, like again, Falcon and Winter Soldier or Hawkeye. Um, Moon Knight is neither of those, you know? And two of the other shows that are coming this year, which we're gonna talk about in a minute, which She-Hulk and, and Ms. Marvel, are also tied very explicitly to the MCU, right? Like there's just like natural crossover there. Moon Knight, I'm sure, look, you don't you don't sign you don't sign Oscar Isaac to a contract if you're not going to use him to sell movie tickets at some point, right? But there is no reason for them to rush him to the big screen. Uh, so I could absolutely, I'm with Kirsty on this. I could absolutely see this guy supporting multiple seasons of a show. But the other thing that I really want is, you know, we've talked from time to time about the kind of tonal sameness of, of the MCU as a whole. And Moon Knight has an opportunity to not be that, and especially to explore the, the horrific, you know, the, the, the supernatural and horror elements of the Marvel Universe that we're not likely to get anywhere else. So I hope this show really leans into that. The next big one is obviously Doctor Strange, but I think we should at least touch on the fact that Morbius comes out the day after, uh, <laughs> the day after Moon Knight is released, or two days after Moon Knight is released on Disney Plus. Morbius is opening in theaters on April first, starring Jared Leto, <laughs> and uh, Morbius, the Living Vampire, is a Spider-Man foe, and this is another one of those movies that kind of gets into that murky middle ground of like. You know, is there a Spider-Man in this universe? Is there not a Spider-Man in this universe? Does Morbius at least take place in the same universe as Venom? Does anybody really care? I don't know. You tell me. What does everybody think about Morbius, the living vampire, on April 1st? I don't care. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't care. And I, I like vampires. 
The fact that this uh, movie is opening on April 1st, Mm. April Fool's Day, is... uh, But then it's been delayed so many times, hasn't it? Do you suspect there's no no movie? There's no movie? I know, it's it's just so good we're not ready for it. That's that's (laughs) probably it. My hope is... I mean, first of all, this is a vampire movie. It should be opening in October. Like, so they should just go ahead, move this release date to October. Sony has cleaned up in October with Venom and Venom Let There Be Carnage. And those are not very good movies. So clearly the quality of these Sony Spider-Man universe uh, flicks has no impact on them being able to earn like, you know, billion dollar type box office in a month that is not accustomed to drawing in those kinds of numbers, you know? So I'm curious to see if they bump this one more time, uh, you know, and see if they try and market it as more of like, kind of like a horror type thing rather than the PG 13 edgy superhero movie that it like, that it seems to be from the marketing so far. I mean, I personally think they missed a trick by not leaning harder into the idea of Venom as a werewolf movie, you know, and making those more explicitly horrific in their treatment of the character rather than doing, you know, whatever it is that they chose to do with those two movies. But, um, you know, it is what it is. I feel like Sony is still finding their feet with this. They certainly have to be emboldened after the success of Spider-Man No Way Home. Be careful, Mike. Werewolves are about to become your brand. I know. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad brand. I'm actually totally okay with that. Uh, I will say that the biggest red flag for me with this movie is that Matt Smith is in it. And as a Doctor Who fan, I love Matt Smith dearly. But I feel like he has made some really poor like blockbuster choices. It's very sad to watch. <laughs> and I don't necessarily see that trend changing with Morbius. But who knows? I'm open. I'm always open to being uh, surprised by a movie in you know a positive direction. Hopefully, well, he was in Terminator. Sorry, he was in Terminator Genesis, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. see, I enjoyed that. <laughs> I was that one person that enjoyed it. Um, yeah, there's, I just, there's always uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'll never stop apologising. Um, thought it was a pretty good. I'm just not that fussy about my killer robot movies. I just. I will, I will say he was, this is maybe not a blockbuster, but he was the best part of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which was not a good movie. There was definitely a time back in kind of like the, 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 the golden days of, you know, his doctor, you know, of his, his portrayal of the doctor. That was at the same time that Benedict Cumberbatch was really coming up as Sherlock at the time. And in my head at the time, I was like, we need Matt Smith as Reed Richards and Benedict Cumberbatch as Victor Von Doom. At the time, I was like, that would be the perfect MCU casting for these two characters. Um, but we'll, we're going to talk about Benedict in a moment, because now it's time to talk about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is the big one opening on May 6th. We do have a trailer for this. So we've seen a little bit of this movie directed by the legendary Sam Raimi. What does everybody think about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? Stephen Strange, Strange's reign of terror continues. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm interested to see what this villain does next. Now, I'm, I'm also excited to see America Chavez um, 
in this movie, especially because um, the actress uh, Sochi Gomez had she was in uh, Netflix's adaptation of Babysitters Club and was an absolute delight. And I think she's going to be a really uh, cool, um, young, energetic uh, addition to the MCU. So yes, I'm very excited about that. Uh, this is this is the movie I'm most excited for this year. Aside wow. from maybe maybe the Batman as well, that's up there. But as more of a Marvel person, this is the blockbuster for me this year. But the weird thing is I couldn't really tell you why, because we know so little about it. We know there's going to be Doctor Strange, and we know there's going to be a multiverse of madness. Uh, beyond that, I don't really know what to tell you. I think just the the elements we do know at play, which are Doctor Strange, who, despite Katie's slander, I like. <laughs> Um, Sam Raimi and just kind of intense maybe horrific visuals plus Wanda Maximoff um, that just seems like the equation for an awesome time at the movies to me I do feel like I need to point out Alec that the next Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse movie also comes out in 2022 so if you want to change your statement I would oh, understand I have, I, have some, I have a hot take for that later okay <laughs> Doctor Strange, I'm a big fan. There's going to be two Doctor Stranges in this movie, at least. That's two Benedict Cumberbatches on screen together uh, for the price of one. So I'm happy I'm getting a good deal when I buy a ticket to that movie. And I, I couldn't be any more excited about it. I am I am thrilled. I'm, I'm still a bit sad that Scott Derrickson isn't the one that has directed the film because I know that he was he had put a lot of work into it. Um, and a lot of ideas into it, but um, I'm thrilled to see Strange Supreme again. I mean, I loved him in What If, so yeah, sign me up. I have to confess, um, I have a bad feeling about this one. Um, I was so irritated by uh, Benedict's performance in Spider-Man No Way Home and the way the character was written, um, and I was not impressed with that teaser footage at all. If I could go back in time and tell 14 year old me that Sam Raimi was gonna be directing a Doctor Strange movie, like that is, that is like the ultimate cool thing that, that a kid, like that I could have imagined as a kid. <laughs> but the combination of the fact that I don't really feel like the MCU has quite figured out who Stephen Strange is supposed to be um, and just the bad taste in my mouth that No Way Home as a whole, but especially Doctor Strange in that movie left in my mouth. I don't know. Um, I really don't know how to feel about this. Um, you know, I do like the first Doctor Strange movie. Uh, I think it's visually inventive, but I was a little disappointed that they went such kind of like a, a standard superhero origin story route with it. You know, I think it would have been much more interesting if Doctor Strange was perhaps somebody that was already established, you know, and that his background was shra was shrouded in mystery and that this was a character who is supposed to maybe take on, once again, some of the darker corners of the MCU, things that we don't usually see. And instead, they've just kind of made him into magic Tony Stark. And like, we don't need another Tony Stark, you know, we need an arrogant, conflicted, you know, prone to, you know, potentially bad self-destructive behavior. Like there's a guy who was originally like, 
I mean, read the early Steve Ditko comics. Like he was a very sinister looking figure, you know, like you never quite knew if he was really a good guy or a bad guy. And I think we could use a little bit more of that with Dr. Strange. I'm not here for two hours of Benedict Cumberbatch doing like this weird, indistinct American accent and like, and, and quipping like he's Tony Stark. I'm just not, I can't get behind it. Hopefully I'm going to be proved wrong. You know, the Marvel join me, Mike. Look, uh, oh, good. So wait, Katie, no, please join me. Like, like, g- give me, give me the dirt on your, give me your hot Doctor Strange take, please. So I mean, I'm not floundering out here. I don't like his character, or I don't like. I think there's a way to contextualize a character like Stephen Strange as he's been presented to me within the MCU and make it interesting. But I feel like they just glorify a lot of his behavior or at least don't like contextualize it with any sort of like nuance or criticism. And I felt I already didn't particularly like this character and did feel like a lot of the um, characterization was was similar. And a lot of the plot of the first or structure of the first movie was similar to the first Iron Man, Um, which I don't know how Robert Downey Jr. like manages to pull that off and (laughs) make that I, I mean, he, he is a great performer, but also I do think that there is some self-awareness within the script, that first Iron Man script, that is aware of the flaws that um, Tony Stark has. And we do see some development in the first Iron Man movie in a way that we don't um, in the first Doctor Strange movie. Rather than having, um, you know, Tony Stark, he is able to kind of learn and develop and realizes that his his actions have consequences while also like realizing that the positive attributes he has, um, you know, can be used to help the world. But with Stephen Strange, it's more like he doesn't really change, but the world comes to meet him where he's at. And that's very frustrating to me. And I also think just fundamentally not a good story. I also feel like he spent all of um, Spider-Man No Way Home just shirking responsibility onto this like literal child. That, again, was could be an interesting story if I think it was contextualized as as that in some way. Um, but I don't think that that movie or the MCU apparently has that awareness. I'm willing to be proven wrong with this with this next next one. And I'm not I'm not I'm never n- not excited to see an MCU movie, or at least I can't think of one off of the top of my head. Um, but this one's going to have to, I think, work pretty hard to make this character interesting to me. Um, but yeah, I'm always I'm always open to changing my mind or seeing a character evolve in interesting ways. And I mean, the MCU has been able to do that before. Um, I never was as down on Thor as a character um, as I am on Doctor Strange, but those movies obviously got a lot better with Thor Ragnarok and they figured out that character in a way that they hadn't in the first two installments. So, you know, there's... It's never it's never too late to do something um, different with a character, even when you've invested multiple movies of some kind in in their development so far. <laughs> How is that, Mike? <laughs> uh, no, I agree. And I, look, I think I, I think there's nothing inherently wrong here. It's more that I think Doctor Strange would have benefited from actually having a sequel of his own before he was thrown mm. into, you know like two of the biggest stories ever told on film. You know what I mean? Like just like ever told in the blockbuster format. You know, I I kind of would have preferred a Doctor Strange 2 that explored his character a little bit more. 
before he had to get thrown into, you know, thrown into the Avengers, basically. And now we're going from those movies into all these multiversal concerns, which like, cool, Doctor Strange is uniquely suited to that. But I'm also worried that this is one of those things that critics of the MCU kind of end up being a little bit right about, which is like, is this going to be something that if you have not watched a hundred hours of content and programming before you're not going to be able to follow anything going on in it. And is it just a commercial for all of these other projects? You know, like at what point do we actually explore who Dr. Strange is, you know, like, I understand there were problems uh, like Katie in particular. I remember you had a very strong reaction to the, um, the strange what Supreme yeah. episode of what <laughs> if, but and, and, you know, and those were all completely valid, but I do feel that that kind of got closer to the heart of this character and explored, explored that character for better and for worse uh, than we've gotten in any of his big screen adventures so far. So I'm a little concerned about this, but on the other hand, you know, we also have, uh, you know, we also have Sam Raimi directing we have Wanda, we have Wanda Maximoff back, which is like we haven't even talked about the WandaVision connection to this. Uh, what what does everybody else think? And is Wanda the secret villain of this move of this movie? I am vibrating with rage. <laughs> Come at me, bro. Let's have it. Calm down, Alec. First um, up, Kirsten, where do you fall in the Stephen Strange Civil War? That's it, it, tearing Marvel standum apart. I'm with you, buddy, 100%. You know that. I'm by your side to the end of the line. Um, yeah, no, I, I I, love Stephen Strange. I love Doctor Strange. And it's it's just too ingrained in me to start hating on him now. But yeah, I don't know whether Wanda will be the secret vi- villain of Doctor Strange. I think that might be a too easy a path for them. I think that some of this movie is going to be about the redemption of um, or at least improving Rachel McAdams character Dr Christine Palmer I think she's going to have a lot bigger role in this than she had in the first film which seems crazy because all we've seen is America Chavez we've seen Wanda we've seen Steven you know and we only had a brief glimpse of Christine Palmer but I just you cannot hire Rachel McAdams and just give her so little to do not even not just in the first movie but when she came back from what if she had nothing to do there I think we could possibly see her become a different character in this film I don't want to get too spoilery with it, um, but I have been thinking about it a lot. I think they might make her clear in some way or another um, because we haven't really heard about any other casting options for that role at this point, and she was heavily rumoured to be a part of it. I hope you're right. I think this would go a long way in um, healing the relationship I have with Maybe not Doctor Strange specifically, but the Doctor Strange part of this world. Um, yeah, I I would love to see Rachel McAdams have more to do and maybe even get to travel through time, finally. Yes. Uh, misusing Rachel McAdams in that first Doctor Strange movie is probably the worst misuse of an actor in 
the entire MCU, even more than Natalie Portman. I was going like, to say, least, like, Natalie Portman might have. <laughs> I don't know, but at least she stuck around for a couple of Mar- Marissa Tomei might have something. To, I mean, she's kind of a, <laughs> no, yeah. She might have something to say about it. I don't know. Whatever. You know, <laughs> we, this is a sad, this is a sad path to go down, but hopefully the path is looping back around and giving Rachel McAdams something to do. Alec, I think I would be very rude if I didn't give you a chance to uh, vent your vibrational rage, All your right. dimension-shaking oh. vibrational rage <laughs> after after my little uh, rant before. Um, well, like I guess like all, I'm, I, I guess I'm a terrible debater because I need to concede two things off the bat. Um, <laughs> no Way Home was a big L for us in the Doctor Strange community. Uh, there's really no way around it. I have to acknowledge it and move on. Um, and then I also agree that the first half of Doctor Strange, the film, is fairly by the numbers and boring. But from about halfway through that movie on, I think he's one of the most compelling Marvel characters. So I think he really takes to the job as, uh, as like reality and temporal police and all of the complications that arise from that very well. Uh, like you mentioned that like you wished the first time we saw him, he was almost more of like a Joker or shark from Jaws like presence where he's a mysterious force. We don't know that much about his backstory. <laughs> to me, that is him in Infinity War and Endgame. Mm. Like if you view him from the perspective of all the other characters that have been through hell together through like the entire multiverse, all of a sudden there's this guy in a goatee and a cape and Polly Wingnuts, Polly Wingnuts, Polly Walnuts Wings, <laughs> who's just telling you that he's in charge of reality and he's going to fix all of this. And he makes a really compelling point to do so. Um, and I think he's, in terms of sheer performance and usefulness, the MVP of those two Infinity War movies, the Infinity Saga at the very end. I do think um, he is a lot better and he's better utilized in those movies. Um, definitely. So, I mean, like, Multiverse of Madness could really be make or break because we're in a Doctor Strange fallow period, thanks to No Way Home. <laughs> um, although I did I did love the, the evil Strange what if. Uh, I, I think maybe just from, like, a, a narcissistic perspective, I think I, I like... Doctor Strange the, would approve. <laughs> I think I like the idea of a character who thinks he's the most important person in the universe, and then the universe says, well, yeah, I guess so. And then yeah, and then that's. I don't know. I think we have too many. I think we have too many characters like that already. (laughs) Well, who else has the universal responsibilities of one? I mean, I feel like that is kind of what Sherlock's character ends up being in Sherlock. We're not. I mean, you know, we're going outside the MCU, but I think this is, this is, an archetype that recurs a lot in storytelling, and I think especially for a, a genre that is fundamentally about power and characters relationships to it um i just don't i don't know i just don't think they've done anything interesting or maybe they're just telling a story that is upsetting to me or is is an upsetting depiction of power um and also feels maybe too real in relation to the the world, which is weird, a weird argument for me to make about Doctor Strange. <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to think more about about this. Maybe I'll write an article at denofgeek.com, um, <laughs> you know, outlining some more of my points. But you should. Well, next up, and Alec, here's your chance to uh, here's your chance to poke holes in me because this next one is my most anticipated superhero movie of the year. 
And that is Thor Love and Thunder on July 8th. Uh, funny enough, I had like a weird dream last night where where I like where I saw no no not like that where I saw <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder and it was like but it was like really like like gritty it was like a viking epic like and it was you know and there were like beheadings and stuff and I was like I was like wow this is really a departure after Ragnarok uh I really did not see this coming and I think it's because I've been I've been reading the uh the, the Jason Aaron uh and Isad Rebic uh Thor comics which are like super like metal and and really intense and those are going to influence this movie to some degree, but I get the feeling we're going to get something a little bit more in line with <laughs> with what we got in Thor Ragnarok. How's everybody feel about Love and Thunder? Well, now I really want your dream to be a premonition. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in general, I I think uh, Taika Waititi is one of the most interesting storytellers that is operating today. So... Um, I will follow him anywhere, which is the second time I've said that about someone in this episode, weirdly, following lots of people. Um, Here, put up a tally. (laughs) Yeah. Starting to get confused. Um, Yeah, I mean, I loved Thor Ragnarok. That's definitely, I haven't finalized my Marvel standum ranking yet, but that's going to be very high on my list. Um, I feel like he just, as someone who hasn't read the Thor comic books, he he brought this, what feels like a very comic booky world um, to life and totally nailed the character. Um, I'm also excited that this movie is co-written by Jennifer Caton Robinson, who was the showrunner of the short-lived MTV series Sweet Vicious, which if you haven't watched it, you should. Um, so she is a very funny writer as well, who is able to balance humor and character development at the same time, and actually some action. Um, and I think that's something that Taika Waititi really demonstrated in Thor Ragnarok. It wasn't that, you know, I think most MCU movies have humor, they have character development, they have action, but Taika Waititi is able to like meld all of those elements into like every moment or at least like multiple moments and that's just an incredible skill to have as a storyteller um so i'm also excited because he's described this as a full-blown love story and i have no idea what that means so we'll see what happens (laughs) yeah mike i have no desire to make fun of you for this one because this it's i'm excited for it too i think the reason why i'm more excited for dr strange is because dr strange still has room for in in his cinematic depiction to have the best Doctor Strange movie. As far as I'm concerned, Thor is wrapped up. Thor Ragnarok's the best Thor movie. It's the best Marvel movie. It's the best movie. It's the best thing that's ever exists. It's the best <laughs> entity known to man. It's better than anything you've ever seen. Uh, I love Thor Ragnarok. Um, so that is, but in a weird way, instead of getting me more excited for Love and Thunder, uh, that kind of tempers my expectations a little bit. But I mean, I'm going to be first in line to see this and I'm going to have a blast. And I can't wait to see um, Jane Foster with like Viking wings. <laughs> I think this movie is going to be a slam dunk because uh, Taika Waititi is just the confidence that he exudes just seems to like you're just convinced it will already be a success purely based on the way he talks about it and the way he acts. 
and that there, there doesn't seem to be like a huge amount of self-doubt there he just he struts everywhere he goes you know there really is like no doubt in my mind that this is going to be a really fun movie I don't know whether it'll be better than Ragnarok <laughs> but I think it will be a lot of fun and really for like a summer movie what else can you ask for it's just these guys back together uh, with the Guardians and Jane Foster it's, it just looks good yeah, I, I'm super hyped. And this is also something very rare happening in terms of the way this movie is coming right on the heels of Doctor Strange as well, where it's, when was the last time we had two Marvel movies in a row directed by directors with distinct visual styles who are clearly allowed to kind of come in and do what they're supposed to do? You know, like we had Chloe Zhao with Eternals, you know, but then we had, you know, like, like who, who directed No Way Home? You know what I mean? Like, like that movie was <laughs> like that, that movie had all of the cinematic flair of a video game cinematic. So like, um, like, but to have Sam Raimi and then, and then Taika Waititi like back to back and after Thor Ragnarok is perhaps the most unapologetically comic book of all of the MCU movies. It's one of the only ones that like tries to really evoke, especially the vision of the Jack Kirby Thor comics of the late sixties and the Walt Simonson Thor comics of the eighties. You know, like it really leaned into the bright colors and the bizarre designs and the technology that you don't even know what it's supposed to do, but it looks really, really cool. And you could see his love for that material coming through in almost every frame of that movie. So I want to see more of that. You know, there's very few directors that are given that kind of freedom in the MCU, you know, like James Gunn is one of them. You know, I know like some folks have mixed feelings about the Guardians movies, but they are as close along with Thor Ragnarok to kind of like, you know, like auteur pieces as you're going to get in the MCU, you know, and I really appreciate that. And Love and Thunder, now you have a director who has a proven track record, you know, like he like, because look, when he was announced as the director of Ragnarok, everybody's like, really? Like that dude, like the Hunt for the Wilder People dude is gonna do is gonna do like a Thor movie called Ragnarok. Like that's gonna have to be like the biggest of all the Thor movies. And don't forget how poorly regarded the Thor franchise was within the MCU at the time. You know, nobody really thought this was gonna be a thing. And he changed the fortunes of that character completely. So now this is somebody who's probably going to be granted even more freedom for his second effort, who is probably going to be even more confident, speaking of what Kirsty said before coming into this, I think we are in for a feast here. You know, like I'm ready for this to just be like a psychedelic explosion of lunacy on the screen, <laughs> unlike anything we have seen in a blockbuster. Like, I'm, I'm and hyped. unlike Mike's Mike's dream, yeah, <laughs> and un, yeah, and completely like, and it's funny, Lee Parham, who uh, who is Denny Geek's social media coordinator and who is moderating our comments today, he pointed out that the movie that I was probably dreaming about was in fact Robert Robert Egger, Robert Eggers' The Northman, uh, which looks exactly like <laughs> what you would expect that to be. So yeah. I, I think it's safe to say that my dream about this, about Thor Love and Thunder was not a prophecy. And in fact, we're going to get something much closer to like 
you know, Mike Hodges Flash Gordon, but with Thor and Jane Foster and Christian Bale is Gore the God Butcher. Like, bring it on, kids. I am ready. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, follow that. <laughs> What's next? Well, good question, because <laughs> we know that Ms. Marvel has a tentative uh, release window of summer 2022. That's all they've told us. If I had to guess, it'll probably be August, September. Like there's a good kind of drought of Marvel content for a while. So I wouldn't be surprised if after like Thor kind of is winding down at the box office, that's when they drop Ms. Marvel. I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited to see Kamala Khan on the big screen. Uh, it does look like they shot at least a little bit on location in Jersey City, which is uh, which was my stomping grounds for a couple of years. So I'm curious to see if there's any places I uh, I recognize. But this movie, we're back to another show that has ties to movies and to ties to the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. How's everybody feel about Ms. Marvel? I'm psyched. Um, <laughs> this was one of the first um, Marvel comics, one of the few Marvel comics I've read. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but I think it was for the first Den of Geek San Diego Comic-Con magazine that I wrote an article about which um, comics should be made into TV shows next. And it was Miss Marvel and Batgirl of Burnside. Yes. Um, so finally. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I love what I've read of this character. I love that she's a fangirl. I, I still remember reading that introduction where she's writing. I can't remember if she's, I guess I can't remember it that well. She's writing or reading Avengers fan fiction. Um, yeah, that was just so fun to me. Um, I'm excited to see uh, Bisha K. Ali um, as the head writer. She was on the Loki writing staff. She wrote Lamentis. Um, and she has she's she has a, a background as a com uh, a comedian, so I'm I'm interested to see her maybe bring some of that to the world as well because I think there's a lot of uh, capacity for humor and lightness um, in this story that is also going to just involve some really weird superpowers <laughs> that I'm excited to see brought to life. Also really excited, which is kind of atypical, uh, uh, just because like you generally, this might, yeah, I'm not excited about most things. You just uh, rage fall. Yeah, I'm also I'm once again vibrating with rage. Uh, <laughs> but I think this is the TV project I'm most excited about. Which I mean, you would normally think that'd be Moon Knight, kind of like this dark, gritty, Batman-esque mm. thing. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to Miss Marvel. And I think it's because of that fandom aspect you talked about, Katie. Uh, like the show has a really interesting opportunity to go really meta with this, because if you think about it, uh, Kamala Khan is 16 years old. Uh, depending on whether she was blipped or not, depending on how old she is come 2023 in the Marvel universe, she might've been born right around the time the events of Iron Man. So this is kind of like an interesting example of the MCU coming of age and getting ready to accommodate a new generation in their perspective. And I've come to realize that actually, for as much as we don't like origin stories or have gotten sick of them, I feel like the right origin story deployed correctly is really fun. And I got a lot of that from Kate Bishop's storyline in Hawkeye, 
and it made me even more excited for uh, Miss Marvels to come. Well, I know basically nothing about Miss Marvel. Um, what I do, what I've seen of Miss Marvel is from the Marvel's Avengers uh, PlayStation game, and that's just watching people play it on Twitch. So I have virtually. <laughs> zero knowledge of Ms. Marvel and I've considered like should I read the comics and I thought no just for this one show I'm going to go in with completely no expectations no you know history to be concerned with and just enjoy it as a series because I think it could be with the team behind it a really enjoyable series so I'm looking forward to this um, but both as a project and as a project for myself if you know what I mean just going in there with no idea because all these shows so far I think I've had preconceived notions of what they might be mm. and what they might deliver and um, their past history in the comics so yeah what I'm really curious to see is how they deal with the source of her powers and her origin story on the show because in the comics she is tied explicitly to the Inhumans and I think everybody at Marvel Studios <coughs> would like to forget that uh, the Inhumans ever happened as a television show. And uh, that was, um, I mean, frankly, I think so would a lot of the audience. So um, I'm curious to see if maybe they try and do something to tie her to the Kree or to the Skrull. You know, as it is, she's obviously Carol Danvers' biggest fan. Um, you know, so that should be interesting. And once again, I also love... Uh, and I'm very curious about just kind of what depictions of fandom are like in a world where superheroes are real. Uh, I think that's just something very different that we aren't going to get in any other project. Uh, so I'm excited. I think this is going to be good. Um, you know, I hope they don't make us wait too long for it. You know, at one point, it seemed like we were going to get this show much earlier than we were. But I think you know, between COVID maybe messing around with production schedules and also how COVID moved release date schedules around. I think they had to really kind of put Ms. Marvel a little further down the road to make sure that she lines up with the wider phase four plan. But then after that, we do have an actual release date for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is October 7th, 2022. And we haven't seen much from this yet, just a little bit of footage but it's pretty cool. And Oscar Isaac is once again figuring heavily into our discussions as we're talking about uh, Spider-Man 2099 for this movie. Um, what does everybody think about Across the Spider-Verse? Alex threatened us with a hot take earlier. So why don't <laughs> That's true. Well, you kind of already heard the hot take now because of Thor and Thunder. I, I kind of, uh, I, I prematurely uh, <laughs> threw out the hot take there. The hot take here is that like Into the Spider-Verse is so damn good that it's, again, it's hard for me to imagine across the Spider-Verse topping it. Um, if we want to augment, augment the hot take a little bit, I'll say I was not really taken by that little teaser. Um, it teased me too much. I need more. Um, and I'm also wondering, uh, like, the Spider-Verse aspect of Into the Spider-Verse was very cool, obviously, and what set the, the movie aside. Um, but the, the best part of that film is really Miles Morales' origin story. It's so emotionally resonant. It's so cool. It's so stylized. And I trust the people behind the Spider-Verse a lot, but it's hard for me to wrap my head around doing something that emotionally sound again. I believe in them. 
<laughs> I know what you mean, though. I mean, it was easy. Yeah, it was relatively easy to go into that movie with, like, not definitely not low expectations, but not really, for me at least, like, uh, any sort of set of expectations. Um, and I think it's one of the best superhero movies, like, of all time. So I can't imagine... I can't imagine what this movie would have to do to top that, but even if it does, it doesn't need to top it, you know? It cannot be as good, and it, it will still be a really fun, um, visually exciting uh, experience. And, yeah, I can't wait to see it in theaters, hopefully. <laughs> I think anything that Lord and Miller do, I tend to get super excited about, like, way ahead of time. Um and this is no different. I mean, I, I don't think they're directing this one. Is that correct? And that indeed it's going to be two movies. This is a part one. That's right. I forgot yes. about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think this is going to be a huge story. Um, and that's always something to look forward to because you, you've got such a, a, a lot of characters and such a big story ahead. They've actually now said this is going to, this has to be two movies. So. Mm -hmm. Um, although some movies that, you know, come out in two parts and back to back or, uh, are not usually very good, there, there's also the Infinity War and Endgames and stuff like that. So hopefully, uh, this is going to be great. Um, I have a good feeling about it. You know how Mike always has a bad feeling about <laughs> it. I have a good feeling about it across the Spider-Verse. I mean, I do too. Into the <laughs> Spider-Verse was my favorite movie of that year, full stop, superhero or otherwise. And honestly, I think it's better than every MCU flick and better than any Spider-Man movie. It's just, it really is something very, very special. Like Katie, I wonder how much of that was kind of the fact that I kind of went into that movie not knowing what to expect and not really having much in the way of expectations. And everybody at the screening was just completely fried by that movie. Like we were just like, what did we just watch? And I think it's gonna be it's gonna be tricky for this to try and duplicate that specialness, you know. I think look, I think that movie could have been just as great and just as special if it didn't lean as heavy into the multiverse aspect. I think a movie that looks like that with a voice cast like that that is so full of like heart and soul that was just a very traditional Miles Morales street level origin story could have been just as great probably would still be a five-star movie right um so I I wonder if at some point they will kind of just pull back a little bit and make sure that they focus on that but we can't really tell from how short that teaser was I have a good feeling too. Um, there's no reason to doubt this. Look, it's the sequel to one of the greatest superhero movies of all time. Like, bring it on. Next one's tricky though. November 11th, 2022, in theory, we are getting Black Panther Wakanda forever. And I only say in theory because of how troubled this production has been. Uh, what do we think, folks? Who is going to wear the mantle of the Black Panther in this movie? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just trying to hold, like, as you said, there's just been so much that has, you know, I'm sure changed, that has changed the plans for this movie, both before it even went into production, 
with the death of Chadwick Boseman, but also the production itself with a, a variety of, of issues. The thing that I'm holding on to is that I think Ryan Coogler is such a strong director, um, and I'm just excited for him to get another chance to explore this world. Um, yeah. I don't know what it's, I don't know what's going to happen though. I feel like there are a lot of obstacles that this movie has had to overcome. And that's, that's just sad to me. (laughs) This poor movie, man. I just, I feel bad for it. Well, I feel bad for it and all the people involved in it for all of the behind the scenes nonsense they've kind of had to go through. Um, In terms of who will take on the mantle of Black Panther, it's, Maybe this sounds weird, but I've never even thought about it. Mm. It never occurred to me that anybody would. Um, maybe the marketing campaign will tease that out. Maybe the movie will actually make like a very specific selection. Uh, but to me, it's always made sense to just retire the mantle altogether. Mm. I mean, the movie could be called Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Um, but just because it's called Black Panther doesn't need Black Panther in it. I mean, maybe the lesson in some way or another they'll they'll find a way to have everybody be black panther like at the end of the day black panther was in our hearts all along that sort of thing um but in a less corny way (laughs) to honor uh chadwick boseman so uh, i would say that my official prediction is no one i'm gonna go with alec i think that these uh movies and probably Kugler's um, whole universe that he's building around Wakanda is going to be based on Wakanda. I don't think that they are going to get a new Black Panther. I Again, I'm willing to be proved wrong, but uh, I also think there's not a chance in hell this movie is coming out this year. It will almost certainly be pushed back, but um, if it does make it to cinemas this year, I think that, uh, that it'll be quite the achievement for Kugler and his team because, you know, they've gone through so much on this shoot already. Um, Yeah, I don't think there will be another Black Panther and that will just be sort of, you know, the saga um, continues, as it were. Um, Yeah, I don't think so. I can't see them... I can't see them picking another one. So I think Alec might be onto something. Yeah, I think thematically that might work as well within this world, too. Um, I think a lot of the themes that were presented in the first movie were, if you follow them to their, if you follow them out, having there be like a monarchy in this world does not necessarily meld well with that. Um, I don't know. That's like such a part of, it seems like, the comic book. So I don't even know what... (laughs) abolishing the monarchy would look like but um i'm just excited honestly to spend more time in wakanda because i don't think we got to actually spend that much time there in the first movie so i would love if if we got to see more of that um setting which i don't know if we will or not so what's interesting is that everybody kind of feels this way right and even though the first black panther was not set primarily within wakanda we all feel like it is a lived in world. You know, that movie was such a feast. There was so much great stuff happening in that movie. And it's very easy to zero in on the importance and just transformative nature of, you know, of Chadwick Boseman's performance and also Michael B. Jordan's performance. Like, like you had two of the greatest performances in, in superhero movie history 
in the hero and the villain of that film. But what struck me, one of the first things I thought when I walked out of that movie was that the world building that encompassed Wakanda was so organic and so beautiful and so natural and felt so real. It's the kind of thing you normally associate with franchises like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. Whereas like, even if I, if I was eight years old and I saw that movie, I would still be like, I would have absorbed the lore of that movie. I would have been like mixing up like, you know, like little potions in, in my kitchen, like mumbling about like the heart-shaped herb or whatever, you know what I mean? Just because it's cool. It has that kind of like, you know, that timeless mythical feel to it. So the idea that they could grow this franchise beyond the role of just Black Panther I think that's I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable expectation. The question is, does the broader audience feel that way? You know, and that's something that I'm that I'm really curious about. Do the suits at Disney, you know, feel confident enough in that to kind of decentralize the Black Panther legacy in that way? I don't know. So I'm very curious. And, you know, I misspoke before when I said, oh, wow, we have two great directors back to back. Like that never happens on the on the Marvel release schedule with like Raimi and Waititi. Guess what? The third movie coming out right after that <laughs> is directed by Ryan Coogler. So so this is actually cinematically speaking from a directorial standpoint. This is like the strongest MCU lineup probably ever. So I'm even more excited about this movie. I guess the only question is, can it make that November 11th release date? Uh, for folks who want to know, because it would take an entire episode for us to unpack all of the things that have gone wrong for this movie uh, over the last, like since it began production last year. But if you go to denigeek.com slash Marvel, there's a great article from Denigeek contributor Don Kay uh, about you know, that kind of just breaks down all of the, you know, all of the little roadblocks this movie has hit. And it's it's kind of a really uh, thoughtful analysis of where the franchise can go, the problems that it's still facing. But hopefully they're able to finish this on time because I cannot wait to go back to Wakanda. And you know what? We are getting to this on the calendar, but Lee just reminded us that the next two movies are the Nia DaCosta and James Gunn. So it's like five for five of actual directors actually directing. And um, if, if, if the quality is what we expect these movies to be, um, this might change the perception of Marvel Studios as, you know, an organization that isn't really as director driven as like the kind of freedom that directors get over at Warner Brothers on the DC movies. The last two things that we definitely know are coming in 2022 are the ones we have the least information about. And those are She-Hulk and Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. But these are TV projects. Um, I'm going to go with She-Hulk just because we know that that is like well into production and I'm pretty confident that we will get that in fourth quarter of 2022. But what 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 do we know about She-Hulk? Kirsty, why don't you start this one off? I mean, I know basically nothing about She-Hulk. So why would you throw it to me, Mike? <laughs> I meant the show. Cruel. Sabotage. That's just cruel. Um, no, I know nothing about She-Hulk, but I do know something about... Uh, 
And I've just forgotten the name of the actress who's playing She-Hulk. This is Sabotage. Now. I know that my memory is Tatiana Maslany. It's a, it's Tatiana a hard name. Maslany. Yes. I do know something about her. Not her name, obviously, off the tip of my tongue, but other things. Um, I watched all of Orphan Black. I was a huge Orphan Black fan. Um, and I also watched her in Perry Mason a little while ago in the first season of that. She was absolutely incredible. Um again like Katie says like the MCU knows how to cast things and they definitely have here because she is just perfect for the role so um, she can play you know in Orphan Black she played like so many different people and she played them completely differently um, and it and you bought it you know when they were on screen together at no point like if you're a fan of the show were you thinking that's just her being shot from different angles and different wigs and clothes and stuff you were just like there's different people on the screen she's that <laughs> convincing so yeah I think she's going to be great in this but since I know basically nothing about She-Hulk other than she's a lawyer uh, called Jennifer Walters is that right yeah that's that's all I know. Yes. That's all I know. So, and then she got a blood, a blood transfusion from the Hulk and became a sort of She-Hulk type, but she still does the lawyering. That's, uh, yes. that's the maximum so, I know. That's the thing bad. that sets her apart <laughs> is she is like, you know, we got, we got used to the, I feel like audience as a whole got used to the idea of a smart Hulk thanks to Infinity War and Endgame, right? Like, but in the comics, Jennifer Walters and She-Hulk were doing that long before Bruce Banner was. Like, she was the first of the Hulks to really get a hold of that rage and to kind of be like, you know what? I actually enjoy being six feet tall and super strong. And, like, she joined the Fantastic Four and, you know, she was in the Avengers and she kept her day job as a lawyer. And then what they started doing was they said, you know what? This character is so much fun before Deadpool was even a thing, She-Hulk was the character that Marvel was using to break the fourth wall in the comics. And there were some really fun comics where she was the first character to kind of do a lot of these meta jokes that we associate with Deadpool now. Now, I don't necessarily expect them to be doing that on this show, but what I do think we're gonna get is something that feels very different. Like, I think this could be a very funny show. Like, I think this is the thing where, you know, the general, oh, look, the Marvel tone overall is pretty light, right? Like everybody kind of, you know, like kind of goes for it with their jokes and their quips and things like that. But this is the one that I think they could really lean into that. They can get into, you know, the absurd nature of what the legal system must be like in the MCU. Um, Kevin Feige has teased, like, you never know who's going to show up in this. And we already know that Mark Ruffalo is going to be there as Bruce Banner. We already know that Abomination will, you know, Emil Blonsky from The Incredible Hulk will be on this show. But like, you know, now that Matt Murdock and Charlie Cox are, part, are back in the Marvel fold, I have to wonder if this is going to be a courtroom show, if we're going to get a little bit more, uh, a little bit more Daredevil in here. So this this is like kind of the sleeper at the moment it's the one it's the one of these shows we know the least about so far but i think it's the one that could break marvel's format the most and i think she hulk has like real potential to become a fan favorite you know breaking marvel's format the thing i'm really excited about for this one is i feel like we talk about it every single time or maybe i just talk about it every <laughs> single time there's a new marvel show but this one really might be the mythical procedural 
this might finally be the one where it's a different story every week. You bring week one, we bring, we get the origin of She-Hulk, thanks to Mark Ruffalo. We bring in uh, Emil Blonsky to try his case. And then week two, we bring in another super villain or hero to do that case and then wash and repeat for week three beyond. Um, I just think if you're going to do TV, you might as well have at least one of them do the tried and true procedural TV format. And I feel like a legal show is a fantastic uh, avenue to do so. I just don't want you to get your hopes up again, Alec. I know. It's not going to happen. I know the moment I started talking, I knew it was not going to happen. I just want to try and throw it out there in the universe, just in case Mr. Feige is listening. <laughs> Mr. Feige, please do procedural. Do it for Alec. <laughs> the other big one that is coming is the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which right off the bat is kind of a fun self-referential thing. Like we all kind of, uh, you know, enjoyed, uh, you know, Peter Quill's endless pop culture references in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and like how the, you know, the general aesthetic of these films is very reminiscent of Star Wars to some degree. And Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special is a bit of a nod to the fact that the second Star Wars thing ever was not the Empire Strikes Back. It was something called the Star Wars holiday special which is an absolutely bizarre disaster. Back in the 70s, variety shows were all the rage. Um, I do recommend, I can't believe I'm actually recommending this, <laughs> but I finally watched the Star Wars holiday special in its entirety, thanks to uh, Twitch streamer Sci-Fi Explosion, which is how I spend my Friday nights because I don't have a lot of friends, folks. And, um, he has made it a, a holiday tradition to show the Star Wars holiday special in its entirety. And it's in a way, not as bad as you've heard and actually like quite a bit cooler than you've heard. And in other ways, it's actually far worse than you can possibly <laughs> imagine. So I think we're gonna get something really bonkers and really weirder than we could possibly expect with this. Does anybody know anything more about this thing than I do? Because I'm at a loss. I just know that I'm excited about it and they filmed it while they were filming volume three. I just think this is such a weird, cool idea that, yeah, speaks to the kind of um, trust they are putting or James Gunn has been able to get <laughs> within the MCU. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's been a it's been a rocky road. Yeah, because up until this point, I mean, this is not a TV show. It's a special, which is not the same thing. But all of the Disney Plus, um, you know, TV shows have been about supporting characters. They might be like major supporting characters. They might be Avengers. But um, we haven't seen something like this. Um, and I think it's going to be really fun. And I'm that's coming from someone who likes guardians of the galaxy fine <laughs> yeah we know nothing about this but the, i will say the only thing i am confident about for this is that um james gunn and the team won't half-ass it <clears throat> because like i know holiday specials are traditionally fairly important <clears throat> in the uk like a lot of like great holiday specials come out of there but like they're usually afterthoughts in the u.s like the tv the, the christmas or holiday episodes of various tv shows or like half hour holiday specials outside of uh, charlie brown and the gang aren't necessarily always the biggest deal 
Um, but I do think this one will not really be a throwaway. I think this is some time, effort, and ingenuity is going to go into this. I'm excited to see it. I do think I remember a detail, which is that it involves going to Groot's home planet. <laughs> which, again, okay. not, a, not a reader of that the comic again. books, but I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, if this is about... Um you know, perhaps celebrating whatever the uh, version of the holiday is for each of these characters and their traditions. I think mm. this could be really fun. Um, so, yeah, maybe we could see what Drax does, you know, around the holidays <laughs> or, you know, maybe Gamora sharpens her knives. Um, yeah, let's, let's bring it on. Why not? I know nothing about this. This is like the 30th time tonight I've said I, I just don't know anything. But it's, it doesn't get any less true. To be fair, the, some of these things are... We don't know anything. Basically <laughs> a year away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Talk to me in six months and I'll give you some more. <laughs> well, folks, I think we, we have gone so far over time just talking about the 2022 releases. We do not have time to talk about the 2023 Marvel releases. And that's probably a good thing only because like, you know, we don't know a lot about those either. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and nobody needs me riffing for another hour. Uh, like I, I do see that Magnus 708 in the uh, in the comments is saying, you know, I could watch Groot for an entire episode. And you know what? So could I, like, I would be totally satisfied if half the dialogue in, is, is just, <laughs> I am Groot or like, Christmas carols that like with the lyrics replaced by I'm Groot. I'm totally with you on this. So like, <laughs> we're going to start, we're going to start bringing this home rather than talk about these 2023 projects, because I still think a lot of those dates are going to shift. I think in the coming weeks, we're going to get more information about these. Um, look, don't forget the Super Bowl is coming in a couple of weeks. So we're probably going to have to revisit a couple of these 2022 projects on future episodes of Marvel stand live, because we're going to be seeing more footage from them really, really soon. So like, you know, uh, how does everybody want to close this out? Kirsty? You have Why? final thoughts for us? Why? I'm I, I just want to sabotage you one last time. Why do you hate me so much? <laughs> Why? Because you create the run of show for these. And, you know, I figure you're the one usually yeah? draining me in. <laughs> I don't know. I'm tired. Okay, fair enough. Let's just say, let's just say a nice goodbye. Kirstie's okay. like so far in the future. Right that's I true. Am. Yeah. Like, it's almost 9 p.m. here. That's, that's, a good, that's a good point. So you know what, folks? Unless, nice. <laughs> but unless don't come for me, Mike. <laughs> uh, unless there's any objections from the folks in the chat. And thank you all so much for watching Marvel Standing Live. We will be back next Wednesday with another episode. I'll tell you, I'll give you a little preview. Next week, we are going to be talking about the Stan Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. We didn't get to do this for the release of No Way Home. So we're going to be diving back into some classics next week. And then the week after... We are going to come back and unveil the official Den of Geek ranking of every Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, as voted on by the staff and by the audience. So the next couple episodes are going to be a whole lot of fun. We hope you check them out. Make sure you are following us here on Twitch. Subscribe if you are so inclined. If you miss some of this show, don't worry. It's going to be on Spotify, 
It's going to be on YouTube as of tomorrow, so you can go back and check it out there. You can check out previous episodes of Marvel Standom on YouTube as well. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. We are at Marvel Standom. You could also follow our web home of Den of Geek. We are at Den of Geek US and at Den of Geek. And make sure you are reading denofgeek.com. Go straight to denofgeek.com slash Marvel for all of our Marvel Cinematic Universe coverage and beyond. We have all kinds of cool exclusives there from the Marvel Comics Universe as well. I do some writing. Kirsty is really like the MVP of our Marvel section. Katie and Alec are there too. Check out everything we have to offer, folks. We'd, <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd love to have you engaging with us on the comments there. Let us know what you think. Drop us a line. Tell us what you want to see in future episodes. But most importantly, thank you so much for watching. Thanks to our chat moderator, Lee Parham. Thanks to our producer, Andrew Halley, for making this show look so good and keeping us on track and doing all of the work it takes to get these things together. This is the only, only the second one of these we've ever done live. We're still getting our feet wet. We think we're gonna be able to make this show bigger and better in coming weeks. We hope you'll stick around. So thanks for watching and we'll see you soon. Stand together, folks. <laughs>